G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. G'day and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. I'm Matt Gees and I just want to quickly remind you that you can catch 2020 every weekday on the Vision Radio Network in the West from 8am, in Queensland from 10 and in the Eastern Summer States from 11. And don't forget the best of 2020 every weekend on Vision, Saturday mornings and Sunday evenings. Check the program guide at vision.org.au. You might recall last year on 2020, we are able to share an amazing testimony about what had happened with... Uh, a group of Christians in Africa. The Nuba people settled in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, and religious liberty analyst Elizabeth Kendall told us how the Nuba were forced in deadly circumstances to leave their homeland in what we understand to be ethnic cleansing at the hands of Islamists in the north of Sudan. Well, Elizabeth's back with us today, and as it turns out, the Nuba people have an Australian connection. Elizabeth's catching up with Neil Johnson. Hi, thanks for having me, Neil. Elizabeth, it's something you've only just learned, but the Nuba people in Africa have an Australian connection. Yes, this is something I have only just learned. Uh, In mid-January, I was speaking at a conference at Christian Faith and Freedom in Canberra, and they're a, a Canberra-based uh, religious freedom lobby group that is, basically works, they work like ambassadors for the persecuted church uh, there, and they're right on the doorstep of Parliament in Yarralumla, and they're doing a wonderful work. And at that conference, uh, they had a young uh, a Nuba man uh, named Shamson give his testimony, an, an appalling testimony of how his uh, family was killed. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the earlier genocide in 1989, um, he was not present at the time. He was out of the village, but his mother and younger, younger siblings were taken out of the, out of the, the hut, the, the tukul, and uh, they watched while the uh, mujahideen uh, bound his uh, father and uncle and other brothers into that tukul and set it on fire and they're all burned to death. And he's now a uh, a refugee in Australia, and he spoke, and he said something that really struck me. Some time ago, I was speaking to a Nuba refugee, uh, not a Nuba refugee, sorry, a a, a refugee from southern Sudan, a Nua, from the Nua tribe, and he said to me, the British brought Christianity to Sudan, you know, to the Nua and the Dinka and and to South Sudan, and now we're being killed because we're Christians, where are the British? And this young man at the conference in Canberra, he said, you know, it was Australians that brought Christianity to the Nuba Mountains. He said, where are the Australian voices? You know, why is Australia ignoring this, this genocide? And it just rang this bell. And the more I, I have looked into it just recently... You know, Australian missionaries from uh, that were connected to the Sudan United Mission, they were pioneer missionaries in this 
you know, rather wild and remote region of Sudan, the Nuba Mountains, and they planted the first churches there in uh, 1913 when uh, the country became independent under an Islamist uh, Arab supremacist regime in 1956 they realized their days were numbered and so they really got busy translating the scriptures and by the time they were forced out in 1962 Australian missionaries had translated the, the New Testament into five Nuba languages today the Nuba are predominantly Christian and most of their villages have a strong Christian culture and uh, they are facing genocide so in the space of one century from 1913 to 2013, we're seeing a, uh, a tribal people uh, receive the gospel, uh, become predominantly Christian, and are now on the verge of annihilation through genocide. Elizabeth, let's dwell on this for just a moment, because what you're saying is that it was Australian missionaries yes. who went to Africa uh, into Sudan, and they began to establish a Christian work amongst the Nuba people in the Nuba Mountains. Now, we're talking of people that, as I understand it, uh, around a half a million strong? Uh, yes, that's right. And so... Uh, uh, yes, I think there's about half a million Nuba, that's right. And in the space of 100 years, uh, this people became uh, almost solidly a Christian people in the Nuba Mountains and they have suffered, uh, as you say, in that time, uh, 50 years beyond uh, when their state became Islamic and since then they have suffered genocide, uh, people trying to wipe them out and uh, and that has happened even just recently. That's right. There was a, an earlier genocide in 1992 uh, this was at the time when uh, the Islamic National Front in Khartoum was fighting the civil war against the, the southerners who are Christian tribes, predominantly Christian tribes. And the Nuba, who are not part of South Sudan, they're in the north, they're north of that border, uh, and yet because they are Africans, like the southern Sudanese, and because they are Christians predominantly, like the southern Sudanese, they have suffered exactly the same uh, brutality and intolerance and political marginalization and persecution uh, and discrimination that the Southerners have experienced. And with them, they, they stood with them in their fight against Islamization and Arab domination. And because of that, they were regarded as rebels. And in 1992... The government in Khartoum issued uh, uh, the, a declaration of jihad against the Nuba, and that was then legitimised with a fatwa, that is a religious edict from uh, the Council of Clerics, that said any Muslims that fight against the regime may be considered as apostates, and all Christians are kafirs or infidels standing as a bulwark against the spread of Islam. And the fatwa said that according to Islam, you have the freedom of killing both. And, and it was an appalling situation. What the government did then is that they bombed all their villages, uh, bombed all their farms, raised all their, their uh, crops and killed all their cattle, and then they closed the area off to humanitarian aid. When the people were 
starving to death, the government came in and established peace camps. These were like concentration camps where the Nuba could come and receive food and medical aid in exchange for converting to Islam. And hundreds of thousands of Nuba refused, so they died of starvation. Now, the genocide pretty well ended in about 1993, with, with still a remnant of Nuba remaining. But this time, now that exactly the same thing is happening now, uh, uh, there isn't the same support to, to deal with the issue. And I'm in, in great uh, anxiety about how this is going to be resolved at all. Well, as you say, uh, the people were asking, where are the British? And you've said, where are the Australians? Well, with a connection like this, I suspect many listeners to our conversation now would take up the cause of the Nuba people, certainly in prayer. Let's just celebrate those missionaries for a moment. What can you tell us about those missionaries that went to Sudan a hundred years ago? Well, they were extremely courageous. They were responding to a call from a, uh, a German missionary who had the vision through, with his mission, uh, Sudan United Mission, he had this vision to evangelize pretty well uh, in a line across where the Islamic advance was moving south. He felt if he could really build up the churches along that sort of that, uh, that geographic space, it would act as a bulwark against the spread of Islam. So, and you know, this is over a hundred years ago now. This is real pioneering missionary work into uh, unknown areas. And uh, there are names like uh, Wilfred Mills, uh, the, the Trudingers, uh, the McDermott's, who were in uh, the, who were in the eastern Nuba Mountains uh, bef- around 1913 and 1914, and uh, they established a denomination known as the Church of Christ in the Nuba Mountains. And uh, it just slowly grew from there. And I, I feel the same way you feel. It's a sense of real pride that uh, this country did something so amazing as, uh, you know, see some of its uh, sons and daughters head off on, you know, what would have been a, a remarkable and very risky adventure in faith that God would bless it. And boy, did God bless it. And they, they would have known that, that their lives were on the line because they didn't know these people to whom they were going. They were, they were going to, um, uh, you know, African tribes. <laughs> they, had, they had no idea what they would expect and they stepped out in faith and I just feel incredibly proud of them and proud to be a, an Australian I think you, I feel proud I also feel this sense of responsibility and I know there'll be those listening to our conversation who'll identify with that because Australian missionaries reaching out into a African tribal group like this and seeing such wonderful success but to be able to identify as you have done uh, that there has been a very hard road over this hundred years yes and uh, I feel a great sense of uh, responsibility too you know I, I think that you know while I believe that it's important for churches to be constantly praying for the persecuted and issues that are coming before us regularly you know there are cases you know, like with like with the Nuba and like with the Papuans, 
uh, just up there on our northern border, and other situations where Australian missionaries were the, uh, you know, key missionaries in terms of bringing the gospel to these people. And uh, so I have a feeling of responsibility. I feel like my ancestors went over, planted a seed that grew into a tree, and now I need to do something when uh, the government is coming along and saying we're going to cut it down and rip it up. And, and uh, you know, these, I, you do, you feel a sense of um, a spiritual responsibility for these people. It's quite possible that if they were Muslims, they wouldn't be getting slaughtered. I think the church needs to really take this up and, and uh, you know, sort of lay claim to it almost as, as, as a cause that, that they will, you know, covenant to pray for and to, and to lobby, to not let our, our government just walk away, uh, walk away from it. The story of this people is so powerful. I can just reflect back just last year. We were talking about the... Uh, the dreadful circumstance that the Nuba people found themselves in, where they were corralled into a valley and Islamists were against them and they were recipients of a tremendous biblical-style miracle. Miracle. I wonder if you're able to recount some details from your memory as to what happened on those days. Well, this was um, in the latter part of 2011, coming into the early part of 2012, and there was a great uh, exodus of <clears throat> African Christians out of South Kordofan uh, trying to flood into South Sudan, into the Samaritan's Purse refugee camp in Yidda. And they were coming down through the Cowder Valley and the government had sent uh, but, you know, battalions of troops to head them off at the pass. To, they created a choke point. The thing is, you see, the government doesn't want to risk that they will ever come back. So the government doesn't just want them to leave. The government wants them dead. And we prayed that God would, in the same way that he opened the Red Sea for Moses, so they could escape, that God's people could escape from the armies of Pharaoh, we prayed that he would open the route through the Cowder Valley, and he did. And a brand new group called the Sudan uh, Revolutionary Front had its first ever victory against the Sudan armed forces and they opened that checkpoint and the refugees came through. Now one thing that means though is that the Yidda refugee camp is absolutely bursting. It is completely overpopulated and they are struggling greatly to meet the needs of the people there, not only in terms of food but sanitation needed to prevent disease you know there's not much point walking all the way from the Nuba mountains into south sudan if you're then going to die of dysentery they're in great great need down there and of course we we continuously need to to pray for the Nuba who are still in flight there's a terrible uh, situation i've just uh, been alerted to uh, by heart stands for humanitarian aid relief trust and it's a humanitarian body set up by uh, Baroness Cox in England. And Hart recently confirmed that on the 12th of December, um, civilians from Ulu Payam in Kermuk County in South Kordofan left for South Sudan, only to be attacked en route by Sudan, uh, Sudan armed forces. They, many were killed. Many children were scattered and only 700 arrived in South Sudan. So, Elizabeth, out of 1,700 people on this journey, 1,000 were killed. 
So we are talking about an absolute slaughter of families, mums and dads and little children just trying to get into South Sudan so they can live and they're gunned down in cold blood. This is an absolutely wicked and evil regime. And there are a, uh, another voice to speak out is Dr. Mukesh Kapila, and he is the former humanitarian coordinator for Sudan. And he, he laments that the ethnic cleansing is largely complete. And what you have now is uh, people uh, so starving in caves throughout southern South Kordofan that they are too weak to even attempt to get to South Sudan. He said, uh, you know, they're just too weak to even move. And, um, you know, this, is a, this has been the, the government's method of mass killing for a long time. They did this in the Nuba Mountains 10 years ago. They did this in South Sudan in 1998. This is what they do. They bomb all their food so there's no food anywhere. And then they close off the area to humanitarian aid and wait for the population to just drop into the dust. And they can kill tens of thousands at a time, even 80,000 in Bar el Ghazal in a matter of weeks in 98. And they can kill thousands upon thousands without ever wasting a bullet. And uh, it's quiet and the whole area is closed off. No one can see it. And I always um, exhort people to pray Psalm 10 for Sudan because in Psalm 10 we get this picture of the evil ruler who thinks God does not see him and God does not care. God has forgotten about them, he says. Well, And then, then the psalm says, but God does see and God does care and God will bring him to account. And I, we really need to pray that God will bring him to account soon, sooner rather than later. I would love that in this centenary year of when the first church was planted, planted in the Nuba Mountains, that this would be the year the battle is turned back and we start to see signs of change. Praying early in the morning, well, when I was up in Canberra uh, earlier in January um, at, at the Christian Faith and Freedom Conference, I was up very early in the morning praying over Psalm 10 for the Nuba myself. And there's a verse in there, I think it's verse 15, it says, uh, break the arm of the evildoer, of the wicked and the evildoer. And I was thinking, what does this mean? You know, it sounds so awful. And it, it just occurred to me the degree to which the arm is the machinery of action. You know, it's the arm that, that disseminates this, uh, the lies. It's the arm that, that picks up the rifle. Um, it, it's the machinery of action. So when we're looking at the arms that are doing this wickedness, we've got the government of Sudan, we've got the Sudan Armed Forces, we've got military hardware, and I believe we need to pray that, that God will break these arms so that there is an opportunity for forces that are just and want to bring about uh, justice and equality into Sudan, that they will have a chance to rise up and bring change to Sudan. Well, our heart sinks to know that there are men, women and children who are the victims of that uh, dreadful uh, and horrific genocide attack, Islamists against a Christian people. Uh, but Elizabeth, uh, as usual, you've given us an indication on how to pray 
And I'd point people to your uh, elizabethkendall.blogspot.com.au and that has links to your prayer bulletin for people to follow that. Of course, your new book is called Turn Back the Battle. And uh, people would say, why, Elizabeth Kendall, are you a religious liberty analyst? Well, you've answered that. Your heart is for these people who are the recipients of such evil in the world that we need to be aware and we need to be advocates in the courts of the Lord on behalf of our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Elizabeth Kendall, thanks so much Mm. for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.